it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian is out today. Harry Hurley is in with Allison, Pete, and Eric. Brian will be back tomorrow. Yes, this is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome to today's program of just a tragic, sad uh, news day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian, of course, holds a place on the Mount Rushmore of radio talk programs in America today. Talkers Magazine rates Brian Kilmeade as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America. And I don't think he's asking for a recount. You can follow Brian at BrianKilmead.com or BrianKilmeadShow.com. And a reminder, Brian, not only, of course, you know his work on Fox and Friends weekday mornings, but also Saturday nights at 8 and then Instant Replay Classic uh, at 11 o'clock on Saturday nights, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade on the Fox News Channel. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline, you couldn't ask for a more responsible, a more qualified expert to speak about America facing yet another tragic mass shooting than John Yanarelli, retired FBI. John was a member of the executive staff of the FBI Cyber Division a member of the FBI SWAT team. His social media handle is FBI John, so that's easy to remember. And John participated in the investigations of the Oklahoma City bombing. Oh, I remember covering that and interviewing Governor Keating and others. Uh, The 9-11 attack, of course, and the shooting of Congresswoman uh, Gabby Giffords and the Sony hack as well, author of Disorderly Conduct and How to Spot a Terrorist. And among John's many FBI assignments, He previously served in Washington, D.C. as the FBI national spokesperson and later on the executive staff of the FBI's cyber division. John, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Good to have you, uh, but but certainly not good news that we're going to be sharing. Uh, How do you process yet another mass shooting and the target children ages seven, eight, nine, and 10. It's, it's, it's unbearable. It's un, unspeakable almost. You're right. It is unbearable. It's incomprehensible. But yet in the world of law enforcement, it's not surprising. We know that there's things out there. There's people that have mental health issues, criminals, etc. And that's why there's always such an emphasis with schools about having security in place, training staff, et cetera. And it's going to be an ongoing issue that we're just going to have to continue to address. But right now, it's mourning for the families. It's terrible what happened. And all of us as parents can't imagine what those poor parents must be going through in Texas. Well said, and and, and certainly I concur. I wrote a piece this morning uh, just because I wanted to put something out that was not hyper-political, that wasn't the usual stuff where the people that are on one side or the other, we get nowhere because no one will give an inch. So I put a piece together that I thought was pretty sobering and and pretty fair and balanced, to quote Fox News. And John, I want to ask you what you think about this one sort of analogy that I draw. 
September 11, 2001, the most significant terrorist attack in American history hits. America becomes incredibly united. We develop the Department of Homeland Security and all kinds of things. And you remember going into that, we didn't even – the terrorists knew how we thought. We just didn't know how they thought. We didn't think they would actually want to fly planes and, and kill themselves we, we think of people that want to hijack a plane and, hey, take me to here and give me this amount of money. So we had to learn how to think like they think. We were behind, I believe, the eight ball on that. So we develop all these things, and we have not had a successful uh, terrorist attack hit America in over 21 years. Why don't we use a similar philosophy that takes the politics out of it, which I do believe – the creation of the Department of Homeland Security and both parties working together and America being 90-some percent united develop something that has obviously worked very well when the commitment is there, the focus is there, the resources are there. Couldn't we use a 9-11 strategy on this domestic front? I think that's a great idea, and I will tell you that this has been undertaken in law enforcement circles. For example, the Secret Service, which is excellent in what they do in building profiles of potential threats against elected officials, have taken that knowledge and applied it to the school shooter situation. The FBI has done very much the same thing, and they've come up with indicators of potential shooters, the different areas that you need to look for and be aware of. If somebody displays one or two of these indicators, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a school shooter, but if they're displaying several, that may call for some intervention in advance. And part of the training is to go out to schools and teach the staff, the teachers, the parents of look for these warning signs if you're aware of them and that's a person that maybe we're going to call local police, mental health facility, etc. It doesn't mean somebody's going to get arrested for having whatever actions or thoughts. But with the intervention by a third party, you never know how that could prevent this tragedy that we saw yesterday. John, so well said. Let me uh, let you take a listen and Brian's listeners take a listen to Danny Colson, who was appearing uh, recently on Fox News's primetime and he makes a really good point, I think, and I know you know uh, Danny, the former FBI deputy assistant director. Uh, I think he makes a very good point about about being inside and keeping the bad guys out rather than try to get in when, as you know, these things are usually over within four minutes. So if you're on the outside looking in or having uh, to, to get there from a distance away, that doesn't seem like a very winning strategy to me. Um, we, we've got to do target hardening, and we've got to do a lot of things here that we're not doing. Uh, Eric, if you do the honors, cut 12. I was in the business of rescuing people from situations like this. It's a lot better to be inside keeping the bad guys out than trying to go in and find the bad guys. And why don't we do that? We have the money. Uh, and one other thing I think it's important to remember, the gun genie is out of the bottle. You can outlaw guns tomorrow. They're still out there. And we need to protect ourselves. We need to take, have courage to bring in policemen that will risk their lives and save our children and put a stop to this stuff. Stop it before they get through the front door. Do you take any exception with uh, Danny's logic there, John? 
Not at all. Denny hits the mark. There's a lot of different things that we can be doing from this point forward. There's technologies out there, for example, that can lock down doors instantly in the school systems. Likewise, there's technologies that not only will notify everybody in the school instantaneously, but will also simultaneously notify law enforcement of what's occurring, saving precious time to respond to these situations. We need to be looking at not only the technology, but as well, the law enforcement personnel, like Danny mentioned. Many times the emphasis is we want to have school resource officers in high schools, et cetera, because we think that's where the problems are most likely to occur. But at the same time, law enforcement knows you want to put resources where you have your most vulnerable. Elementary school kids, they're not going to be able to fight back the way we teach to run, hide, fight. We need to look at where are we putting the resources. And it's not to say this community didn't have persons in place to handle different schools. The issue is more of a global nationwide thing. Are we going to put school resource officers in the schools we have and protect our most vulnerable, not just what happened yesterday, but everywhere in our country. We are visiting with John Yannarelli, uh, retired FBI, on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Rob Elementary School in the heavy Latino town of Uvalde, Texas. Yesterday, the scene of the second worst mass shooting in American history, only behind Sandy Hook. Now, let's take another listen to another uh, person that I know that uh, John knows well, Chris Swecker, former FBI assistant director. It's a little it's a similar take to Danny, but there's some additional nuances in here about maybe what we could have known about the shooter and so on and so forth. Eric, cut 11. Like every mass shooter, especially the young ones, this one was flashing red, it appears, which is no surprise. I mean, they they always they seem to always communicate uh, threats. They seem to articulate what they're thinking, their state of mind. The people around them can't help but notice that. We don't know whether anybody reported this and whether any, any law enforcement officer ever had any contact with him over this. But I do school security assessments uh, quite often, and I advocate always for an armed security guard at every school, especially the elementary schools where the little ones can't run, hide, fight. John, comment on Chris's thoughts. Chris is correct. As the law enforcement agencies dig into this and try to uncover what took place, doing so, not just to understand what happened, but hopefully prevent future acts, they're going to see that there were red flags, things that people were aware of. We know that he posted some messages on social media, had he been doing that previously. Obviously, there was a domestic problem in the household yesterday. That would not have been the first time because he's living with grandparents instead of the nuclear family uh, and his parents. We don't know the situation yet, but it would also say and suggest perhaps there were other issues. All of this cumulatively, and I imagine when we talk to his teachers from school, et cetera, we're going to learn of other problems. That's the kind of information we need to bring together as a community from the law enforcement angle, from friends, from teachers. And when there's a problem, we need to take steps and start doing something about it. We've got a few more minutes with John Yannarelli, retired FBI, on the Brian Kilmeade Show. 
John, in terms of going back to September 11, 2001, and what transpired after that with uh, the Kane and Hamilton committees and all, all that went on where everybody had a seat at the table and they were trying to figure things out, like what happened, for example, the famous Jamie Gorelick wall where this one didn't talk to that one because we didn't do that. We had our own turf. Meanwhile, if everybody talked to one another, uh, there, there was a lot of, of chatter that maybe uh, dots could have been connected. Can more be done to be preventative rather than reactive in these uh, situations, John? Absolutely. And the first step will be for politicians to not be pointing fingers at one another, but rather try to come to the table and find some solutions. I'll tell you, Harry, one of the biggest issues in these situations, the common thread always seems to be some sort of mental health issue. And while people want to talk about gun control, and believe me, there's a place for having rules and regulations, but we've got to address all the problems involved. We are not talking about the mental health issues. What are the resources available in communities? Can you have somebody referred for psychiatric evaluation? Can you get them, if they're an 18-year-old and have their own rights, make them go see a doctor or have some sort of treatment? These are not easy questions, and the answers are going to be even harder to come to, but we have to start having that conversation so that we can address some of these problems. John, do we, we have final minute. Do we have any um, insight into why they pick these very young, precious, innocent, perfectly innocent, beautiful little boys and girls? And, yes, they'll shoot their teachers as well and any supportive staff that might be around. You know, this, this 18-year-old uh, young man, he shot and either killed or shot and it's critically wounded his own grandmother. So if you'll shoot your own grandmother – I mean, my goodness, I guess you you can shoot anyone, but is there a pathology or a reason? Is it easy? I I hate to say that, but is there a reason that they pick these young ones? Well, we don't know what happened specifically yesterday, but in general, of course, these are referred to as soft targets and persons who are looking to do harm generally are not looking for a fair fight. They are looking for those type of soft targets. So that's why we have to make sure we're taking the steps and doing whatever we can to keep our children safe. A lot of school communities are doing the training that teachers and staff, and when the kids are old enough, teaching them as well how to respond and what they need to do. We need to take steps to protect ourselves because there's a saying in law enforcement, when seconds count, the police are just minutes away. Yeah. The first line of defense is going to be the people on the scene. John, your expertise this morning on the Brian Kilmeade Show was so important. Great to visit with you again, and uh, all the best. Be well. You too. Thank you, sir. We will be right back. Much more important content straight ahead. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. 
When parents drop their kids off at school, they have every expectation to, to know that they're going to be able to pick their child up when that school day ends. And there are families who are in mourning right now, and the state of Texas is in mourning with them for the reality that these parents are not going to be able to pick up their children. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. Of course, I'm working with this great team, Allison, Pete, and Eric. Uh, let's take this opportunity because I know how much Brian values your calls, your participation, and your listenership. Let's go to Orlando, Florida, and welcome Judith to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Judith, welcome. Uh, I, I'm not the amazing Kreskin, but he is a friend of mine, so I don't need to be the amazing Kreskin to know what you want to talk about. Time is yours. Share your thoughts. I cannot understand why we don't have metal detectors in the schools. It is insane. We have them in Washington, D.C. We have them in the airports. And why not to protect our children? You shut the doors. You turn the the, uh, detectors on. If anybody comes in, it sets off an alarm. Lock all the doors automatically. You got them. Judith, I would say this. It's the, the amount of metal detectors in our schools is more than zero, but... It's not it's not as though there aren't metal detectors in in a lot of the larger school districts. uh, There are metal detectors. The key also is they have to control. I I think you have to have basically one way to enter and one way to exit. And if you're working in, in facilities, you can't prop open a door. I mean, if you look at the video and Fox News has been showing the video, uh, this shooter had an easy time getting right into the school. So if you had metal detectors in the front where people go through, this guy looked like he got in no problem at all. Uh, and that, that's a big problem as well. So they have to button that down tight. But I do agree with you. Obviously, metal detectors would be very, very helpful. But you have to make all these other exits and entrances. You know how schools are set up. If they have gymnasiums, they have the ability to just get in through so many doors. They've got to tighten that down. Maybe like Joe Clark, what he did in in uh, in his day as, as a principal. Quick closing comment, Judith. Are you there? We lost yeah, you there? Yeah, I am. Yeah, go. Uh, again, I just think, why not put them on all the exits and entrances? I mean, sure, it's an expense, but a child's life is is priceless. And so do it, you know, no matter where they would come in, you know, if they've got a gun, that certainly is going to set off a metal detector, I would think, wouldn't it? Judith, it would. Anything metal. Now, if it's plastics, it would be maybe an issue. They also have some of these uh, units have the ability to screen them as well with the x-ray capability in case it's a, uh, a plastic type situation. Judith, thank you for listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Excellent point that you made. It is something that can be done And the federal government would have to fund it, but it is an investment worth looking at. We'll be back. Rich Lowry is next. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today with Allison Pete and Eric Bryan. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is Rich Lowry, a great friend of the program, editor of the National Review, but you already knew that, author of The Case. 
or nationalism. We have an important topic, but of course, I'm going to give Rich an opportunity to comment about what happened yesterday. Every single American, we're mourning for the families, uh, everybody that's a parent, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt. You just can't even process the incalculable, uh, unbearable loss. Um, so we'll give Rich an opportunity to comment on that. Rich, welcome to Brian's program. Hey, thanks. Thanks for having me. I, what can you say? I mean, it's it's unspeakable. Literally, it's it's uh, horrific. It's it's evil. It's now just an ingrained part of American culture for a certain fringe of disturbed or disaffected, hateful young men. That this is something you do to to gain notoriety or as a form of committing suicide. And I just think the Columbine shooting was one of the uh, worst events in uh, American history in the last 50 years, and not just for what happened at Columbine, but for creating this this predicate, this cultural yeah. predicate, and putting this in the mind of, of these young men. And I don't know how to stop it. You know, the, the gun, we can argue about the guns, but it's just even if they get everything they want, that's not going to make a difference. And what else can you do? You know, I, I just come back to the communities that are going to have to harden their schools more and make sure there's an armed guard, you know, at the front of the doors. That's a horrible uh, imagery. It's a big expense probably, you know, for a lot of communities. But I, uh, other than that, I don't know what, what the answer is. President Kennedy, I think it was, Rich, who said something along the lines. He was asked about his his own mortality and did he was he concerned that you know he could be assassinated and he basically i believe took the position that if one person is willing to forfeit their life it's very hard to stop someone like that yeah so i mean he was wrong about presidents right presidents one person you can create this huge apparatus around them but can you do that in every school in america i mean that's that's the the problem and it's so random you know it could be it, it, anywhere at any school at any time yeah. so if you knew what it was what the target was going to be you know you, so I, I just think you you have to try to harden it you have to find some either have to hope this kind of cultural predicate kind of kind of burns out or find a way to kind of push back uh, against it, you know, w- one idea I, I have is, you know, the the, uh, the the next kid that does this and and isn't killed, you know, you get him in his orange jumpsuit, getting a, a doing a public service message about this is the most terrible thing that he he never should have, you know, he spun out of control, he never should have done this, he'll regret it every single minute of his life, and hope maybe you reach some kids that might be thinking this way. And the other thing is, um, you know, we we don't know a lot of details about the background, very few in this case, but very often there are signs, and there, there apparently was on social media. So you just need, you know, if you're a family member or a neighbor that just has the question, I wonder, you know, if this kid is capable of such a thing or could spin out of control, you got you to gotta tell the authorities. You know, the, the default has to be towards telling the authorities and taking it seriously. That's not going to stop every one of these attacks, but it might help at the margins. But Again, this is just a, a hell of a problem, a, a hell-born problem, literally, and um, I, I don't have easy answers. I don't think anyone does. It's Rich Lowry on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline. One follow-up, uh, but I think you covered a lot of what this follow-up would entail, but I'm going to push it just one extra step, and then we're going to pivot to another topic. Rob Elementary School uh, and and the site in, in Uvalde, Texas, as you know, of, the, of this mass shooting, the second worst uh, mass shooting in in American history behind only Sandy Hook in terms of these school tragedies that takes place. 
it seems like just from time to time, enough time seems to go by that we go, we default back to whatever normal means. Then it happens mm-hmm. again, and we're on heightened alert. And then yeah. we default. It's it's like on again, off again, on again, off again. It's not happening every day, uh, so we yeah. have enough time to be desensitized almost again. Is there anything obvious that we're not doing that we should be doing? I I don't know beyond the things things I mentioned, and I would think you know every every school thinking about how that how the doors are are hardened you know within reason. I mean the problem is that elementary school in the community is it's a it's a community center you know and the kids are in and out uh, uh, during the day and the parents are in and out and staff is in and out so you know it's it you can't have a TSA situation at the front door. I mean it's just not plausible. But I think the the armed guard is, is something that that could make a uh, that, that could make a, a, dif- a difference. One of the former uh, assistant FBI directors, Danny Colson, and another former assistant director, Chris Swecker, agree with the Lowry Doctrine because what I've learned about these things, they're over, Rich, within four minutes. So if you don't have presence already there, your best shot is reactive after horrible things have happened. And then maybe you're lucky, like yesterday, a member of the Border Patrol tactical unit responded and and, uh, apparently took out the shooter or could have even been worse, it seems. So I I agree with that. You you have to be more proactive because if you're not, you have no shot being reactive. Yeah. I mean, they were there. The reports are three minutes. You know, no one was twiddling their their thumbs. And unfortunately, everyone knows this drill and it's going to take it with with great urgency. But once the the killer has run into a classroom with with a gun, what you know, what what can you do then? You know, you're right. You're 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 getting there after a horrific mayhem that has has happened. And and God bless those 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 officers who got there and and took them down. That's not an easy situation when someone's barricaded in a, in a room and shooting at you. I, I guess a couple of the officers were injured. Um, but you're right. It's 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 kind of by because it can happen so fast. You can you can be as re- reactive as as possible, and you're still you're still coming after the fact. And there's no there's no smooth transition from life and death to what took place yesterday on Election Day. But we're going to pivot to Dateline Georgia with Rich Lowry on the Brian Kilmeade show, because I'm a big fan of the four stages of the truth. And the fourth stage is the truth becomes self-evident. And with an increase in voting in the hundreds, multiple hundreds of percentile, 168 percent increase in early voting versus 2018, a 212 percent increase in voter turnout yesterday in Georgia versus 2020. I think the whole President Biden, Stacey Abrams, Jim Crow 2.0, even though the Georgia law is far superior to President Biden's uh, home state of Delaware, uh, I think the actual results completely cancel out the the incredibly intellectually dishonest rhetoric of President Biden. Georgia and their whole election law apparatus was vindicated yesterday, Rich. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And I've talked to Brian a lot this, about this a lot with regard to the Russian hoax. It'd be really nice if just one person, just anywhere, I don't, I don't care who he or she is, how far down the, the media totem pole he or she is, would just apologize. You know, and say I got it wrong. You know, I, yep. I was misinformed about this, or I made bad assumptions about it. I now realize it wasn't Jim Crow. I never should have said that. 
I'm sorry, you know, we all get stuff wrong. I'm going to dust myself off, try to do better next time. No, they'll, they'll never do it. it. It'll just be memory hold. It'll be like no one ever said this was Jim Crow or Jim Eagle or Jim Crow 2.0 or whatever it was. So, so that's, just, that's just infuriating. And this was always clear it was a smear. Um, it was an ideologically and politically driven smear, and they whipped themselves into this panic that caught up almost the entirety of the media and every elected Democrat and civil rights leader in the country. And it was, it was a, a fevered fantasy. Let, let's, hey, Rich, let's call out, I mean, because you are the editor of a heritage, I mean, a very iconic uh, publication, and I know your work. If you, if you put out something and you blow it, you, you come out and say, I blew it, uh, whether it was Russia collusion hoax or them saying that Hunter Biden was not real and the, the, that it was Russian. It's amazing how they got Russia every which way. It's always in their favor. They use Russia. Uh, because that was Russian collusion until it wasn't, or Russian propaganda. Don't they have an obligation? Doesn't the media have an obligation when they – it's not an, an editorial that they were running. These were run as yep. news. So yep. for Brian's listeners, and Rich knows this all too well, he's the editor of the National Review. If you get the news wrong, you're supposed – there's supposed to be like an ombudsman. There's supposed to be a corrections page. Yep. You correct it. They will not correct it, Rich. Yep. No, nope, you're absolutely right. And it wasn't just – if you just look at the New York Times, that you know they had multiple op-ed columnists saying this was, was Jim Crow. But it wasn't just that. It was in the news pages. The, the headlines all bought hook and line yeah. and sinker, the, the, the story that this was suppressing the, the black vote. And there was a story the other day, just two days ago or so, that, about the surge in early voting that mentioned the surge in early voting but didn't go back and say – Oh, a lot of people thought this law was going to be Jim Crow vote suppression. Didn't even mention it. It was like it didn't happen. So this is just another reason. I mean, there are many, but another reason why the the media has zero credibility and as an institution has been steadily destroying itself for the last 30 years. Rich, I'm going to bring out the Happy Days defense now. This is the Happy Days, Arthur Fonzarelli, the Fonz, in Bermuda shorts. A leather jacket. I think you know where I'm going. He's on water skis and he's ready to jump the shark, which, of course, has become famous lexicon when a TV show or some event uh, craps out because they make some kind of fatal mistake. Uh, it's called jumping the shark. I submit to the great Rich Lowry on the Brian Kilmeade show today here right now that Stacey Abrams jumped the shark. When she declares herself as the Democratic nominee for governor of the great state of Georgia, and she comes out and says, quote unquote, this is not slice and diced, that Georgia is the worst state in the country to live in. She jumped the shark. Do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I think it's a deplorable like moment. I don't think she's going to win in this year. Anyway, I think, you know, the, the voting stuff has been embarrassing for her. The Major League Baseball pulling out the All-Star game was, was embarrassing for her. And, and I feared when David Perdue was, was announced against um, Brian Kemp, you know, usually a divisive primary is like very bad for you. And uh, Kemp came out, you know, flying colors, and I think he's in a really strong position and will beat her in the fall. And it will be a, a, a just and righteous victory for Brian Kemp. Stacey Abrams has been a, uh, on top of everything else in election truth or never admitted that she lost fair and square in 2018. So she deserves yeah. to lose and will. By the way, well, speaking of jumping the shark, I met at Fox years ago, Harry Winkler, delightful guy, totally oh, delightful guy. Yeah, he's, he's terrific. He's kind, kind, good man. 
Uh, so let me do this for Brian's listeners. I think you know all about this, and some of you may have heard it, but you may not have heard precisely what happened here. We're going to play two clips back-to-back and have the great Rich Lowry uh, respond to it to see if any rehabilitation happened or if the Hurley Doctrine, uh, the guest-filling guy on Brian's show, is right with the fact that Stacey Abrams jumped the shark. And, oh, I just want to slip in a quick little sidebar. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. She lost by 55,000 votes. It was more than the contested ballots that were left. She never conceded. To this day, she says she was cheated. But if you say you don't agree that Joe Biden won, my gosh, you've committed a high crime uh, mm-hmm. and misdemeanor. But they can say Hillary has never conceded to Trump 2016. Stacey Abrams yep. has never conceded. Uh, and, and they make it like she lost this like excruciatingly close yeah. election. Sorry, 55,000 votes isn't close. All right, so let's go on to this. Uh, Eric, if you would, let's begin. We'll do it chronologically so that no one can say on the Brian Kilmeade show that Stacey Abrams was misrepresented. Cut 20. I am tired of hearing about being the best state in the country to do business when we are the worst state in the country to live. All right, that's rather unambiguous and a real problem, and I'm going to stick with my Arthur Fonzarelli happy days. She jumped the shark. It's over, and I agree with Rich. She wasn't going to win anyhow, but they can just finish her off with this uh, just time and again. You're running for the top spot in your state, and you say you're the worst state in the country to live. That That is really disqualifying. So here's what she tried to do, Rich. As you know, she tried to get out of it. And here we go. Cut 19. I had an inelegant delivery of a statement that I will keep making, and that is that Brian Kemp is a failed governor who doesn't care about the people of Georgia. Okay, so it's not the worst state to live in in the country anymore, Rich Lowry. It's now Brian Kemp is a failed governor who doesn't care about the people of Georgia. How did she acquit herself? Well, once you have to say something was inelegant, you know, that's that's not great. That's not a good sign there. That's a euphemism <laughs> for you really stepped in it. And there's there's times you step in it, and it's a one-day story, and it's gone. And there are times you step in it where it's become, going to become a theme used against you. Um, and and the, clearly it's it's a ladder in this case. This, this statement will be ringing in her ears through, uh, clear through November. Rich, close us out in 30 seconds in in today's interview with your comment on how important was Georgia showing that their new election laws work, work well, and encouraged huge increases in terms of voter participation. Well, I think it it shows just how carefully this law was crafted. There there's some things there in the initial version that weren't so great, you know, cracking down on Sunday early voting, which people interpreted as a shot at souls to the polls. You know, the African American turnout at traditional church turnout on Sundays. They stripped that out. You know, they went through it very carefully and then they got smeared and they got smeared from everyone, Stacey Abrams, the president of the United States, to corporate America, you know, Delta and Major League Baseball, and they stood their ground. They didn't back down at all. There wasn't any hint they were going to go back and change their work because they knew they didn't need to, and it's been proved out. So it's, uh, it's a big congratulations to everyone down there. Hey, Rich, we love listening to you on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Have a great day. Hey, thanks so much, YouTube. You're welcome. When we come back, it will be your turn to play on The Brian Kilmeade Show. The phone lines are open, 866-408-7669. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Getting past all the rhetoric, it's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen... 
the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show with Allison, Pete, and Eric. It's Harry Hurley, and Brian will be back tomorrow, just out today. To your calls we go on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Richard, listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show on WHIO. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, Richard. Hi there. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. See, I, I just wanted to bring up a point. I think that the country is missing out on a vast resource to help protect schools. You have a lot of veterans who served the country uh, when they were in the service that are now retired. Now, I was in the Army, infantry, artillery, served five years, two years in South Vietnam. I would be more than happy to volunteer to go to a school a couple of times a week, stand there and guard the school. Now, remedial training and weaponry would certainly be appropriate, but this is nationwide. I mean, you have millions of retired veterans out there that are equally as qualified. Richard, let me comment because we're in the final 30 seconds of the hour. Uh, First, thank you for your service. Let me begin with that. And I hear this from great men like you, great people like you that have served, that are willing to serve again. That would have to be harnessed. There'd have to be a way for boards of education and everyone to figure out how do you make this work. And as you know, there are some people adverse to any type of paramilitary presence. There's just a whole conversation that's going to have to take place. But it shows you the greatness of our veterans who have served, that they step up like this. And and I agree with Richard. There are veterans all over the country who, who would wish to serve. We will be back in just a little bit. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today with Allison Pete and Eric Bryan. We'll be back tomorrow. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which holds not only in my heart, if you will, but legitimately holds a place on the Mount Rushmore of the four most important talk radio programs in America. And that's not me, Brian's fill-in guy, saying it. That's Talkers Magazine, which is the Bible of talk radio and the new talk media. Talkers Magazine rates Brian Kilmeade as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America. You can follow Brian at BrianKilmead.com, BrianKilmeadShow.com. And remember, Brian's got a great retail store at BrianKilmead.com. All of his books, you can get them personalized, and they really make for great gifts. Of course, catch Brian weekdays uh, on Fox and Friends on the Fox News Channel and Saturday nights twice, 8 p.m. with One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. And that replays Instant Replay Classic uh, each Saturday at 11 o'clock. On the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline on this consequential day, really a perfect guest uh, to begin the hour with is United States Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida's 17th Congressional District, where he serves on Foreign Affairs, the Subcommittee on Crime, Terrorism and Homeland Security, and the Judiciary, and in the U.S. Army, Congressman Stubbe served with distinction and with honor 
from 2004 to 2008 as an Airborne Infantry Officer and JAG Corps Officer. Congressman Stubbe served as the Chief of Detainee Operations for the Multinational Division North in Iraq with the 25th Infantry Division in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom. And just, I could keep going. The pedigree is is incredible. Congressman Stubbe, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, let's talk about, uh, obviously, I'm going to open up with the horrific uh, mass shooting that took place uh, yesterday in Uvalde, Texas, at the Robb Elementary School, heavy on everyone in America's hearts, uh, and certainly the 19 children and their families, the two teachers and their families, and those are the latest numbers that I'm aware of, uh, but we keep close tabs because obviously there are other people that have been hurt. Uh, what, what is your opening comment about that, Congressman? Well, the first thing that you know you have to say is how heart-wrenching that this has to be on those families. I have an 11-year-old son. Mm. He's in fifth grade in elementary school. And to be a parent with that age child, to get a phone call like that, that the school is in lockdown, there's a shooter on on the school grounds, uh, I can't imagine what these parents are going through. And uh, my Lord and Savior tells us, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And uh, I, I surely hope that they are surrounded by families and friends during this very difficult time. Um, and my heart goes out to them. But to immediately segue, and then last night our president immediately segue into a completely partisan attack on law-abiding citizens who every day there's stories about law-abiding citizens with a concealed carry permit who have defended and protected people and law enforcement officers who were all attacked uh, in 2020 and after the George Floyd riots who defend and protect people every single day. I was at the Sarasota Sheriff's Department yesterday recognizing a law enforcement officer for his service to our community and all the awards and accolades that he's received and all the law enforcement officers that responded to this shooting. We thank them for putting their lives on the line every single day for being able to uh, – Lord knows how many of those lives were saved because of the actions that were taken. Um, with, with that said, you know, we still don't have all the information. Who, we know who this person is. What, what's his background? I find it interesting that Border Patrol was there. I have questions about that. Where did he get the weapon? All of those things we, we don't have the information on. Um, but what I will say, and so this is the most deadly shooting since Sandy Hook. Sandy yep. Hook happened right before I was in the state legislature in the Florida legislature. I served six years in the state house, two years in the state senate. And I recognized a vulnerability, being a military, former military officer, infantry officer, all of that. I recognized the vulnerability in our own schools in Florida after Sandy Hook. And I filed bill after bill, year after year. It was called the School Safety Act in Florida. Never became law because it was so politicized that why are we going to put guns in our schools? And what the bill did was allow former current law enforcement, former current military that goes through a school safety-specific training program that then would work with our school resource officers because in Florida, we don't have a school resource officer at every single one of our schools. Mm. And even if you have one, one guy um, can't take down a shooter um, very quickly. It's obvious that you need a team. You know, Anybody that, with a military background, law enforcement background, you're not going to go into a building. You are to try to defend the lives of people, but having a team of people around you is ideal. And I could never get the bill passed because even Republicans um, would would 
get pushed on by the woke left. We can't have guns in schools. Well, you need somebody with proper training at these locations to be able to protect our kids. And now again, we're seeing a circumstance where had somebody been there at that school who was properly trained, properly vetted, and properly armed, I mean, we've all seen the video of him walking right into the front of the school. Correct. He probably could have been stopped and lives would have been saved. Yeah, you and, can't argue. I, mean, I don't con- understand. Con- I was just going to say, Congressman, you can't – and those just tuning in, it's the Brian Kilmeade Show with Congressman Greg Stubbe. Uh, you can't argue with that because you know from your military career – the event is minutes long, three, four minutes long. If you're not already there, you're not getting there until after the fact. Uh, so that that is I don't know how people argue that being proactive would be a bad thing. Uh, we have to definitely do something about target hardening and some of the things that you're very skilled in. Let me um, shift gears because we could take the whole interview time up on that. Let's cover a few oh, more issues. Sure. Yeah, because yeah, we could we could just never stop on that. There's so much that you um, that you have to offer on that. And, and I wish uh, because the American people are looking for solutions. And and I agree with you. Our consoler in chief blew it last night. That was not the time to be yelling and calling out the gun lobby. And, and it just was awful. Awful optics. If that was loaded in the teleprompter, whoever wrote that should be fired. I think some of that was just our president, just like when he was um, in Asia and he got asked the question, basically declared war with China. And then it was clean up in aisle seven when the staff had to correct him because he was changing the policy of the United States of America. Do we have to is this suspension of disbelief, Congressman Stubbe, that that you don't whatever the president says, don't listen to it. Because, you know, somebody, the, the, the guy they call the prime minister, the chief of staff or someone is going to correct him five minutes later, this is getting very dangerous. It is dangerous. And to have the leader of the free world saying things and in the administration, the white, his own White House, correct him. seconds, moments, hours later, correcting him uh, it should give – no, uh, like, assurance to the American people that this president knows what he's doing and knows what he's saying, and it, it's, it's, it is backed up with any type of facts or evidence. And if it would be in the reverse, if Trump were to say – had said something, which yeah, he talked to the press all there the time, yep. there you go. They, would, they would take off with that, mm-hmm. and there was no backtracking. There was no nothing, but the mainstream media will 100 percent protect Biden at all costs. It's true. And if he says something that everybody in, everybody in the mainstream media is like, oh, just like you said, clean up in aisle seven. Oh, the mainstream media is going to back it up. And and when asked and pressed by reporters, the press secretary would be like, oh, no, no, we issued a statement on that. This is what he this is what he meant to say. And it's very discerning to the American people. And I think that's why his poll numbers are at a record low, mm-hmm. as they should be. It You look at the numbers and you see like 39 percent support him and you scratch your head. Who are these 39 percent of people? that think he's doing a good job. I know. I say the same thing. Oh, my gosh. You just channeled inside my head when you just said that. We are visiting with Congressman Greg Stubbe on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let me draw uh, from your military experience on two other topics, uh, because you and I have not had the opportunity to talk about either of these uh, in the past. Obviously, Afghanistan was a disaster. And, of course, short attention spans make it forgotten. Horrific things are going on there right now. Women can't go to school again. Uh, it just, it's just terrible uh, what's going on. And, of course, our president decided to go in an order of events 
that even a child would not choose, where you would have the military leave first, uh, do nothing to secure billions of dollars worth of incredible, the finest military equipment on planet Earth, and then try to get your people out last, I mean, uh, in the middle there and bring them, you know, it just, it's crazy what all went on there. Then, of course, Ukraine, the president wanted uh, Zelensky to fold in 24 hours. They, they, they miscalculated that as well. This administration has been spectacularly wrong on everything, domestic and foreign. Do you agree or disagree? One hundred percent. And on Afghanistan, as a military veteran who served in the Middle East, I served in Iraq, not in Afghanistan. What an atrocity to the American people and and the whole world watching a disastrous withdrawal where service members were killed that could have been prevented. And Secretary Blinken was before the Foreign Affairs Committee a couple weeks ago. I had an, an opportunity to question him. And the first question I have so we're on the same page as we sit here today, over six months after the withdrawal in Afghanistan, we still have American citizens stuck in Afghanistan behind enemy lines. Is that correct? Yes. Do they want to come back to the United States? Yes. That's all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, we, we've literally abandoned our own citizens. And just like you said, like, it's forgotten now. Nobody talks about Afghanistan nope. anymore. Nobody talks about the Taliban, $80 billion worth of military equipment. And the first hearing that we had Blinken in shortly after the fall, I said, your, your legacy is going to be the Taliban flying our Black Hawk helicopters with somebody hanging at the bottom of a rope. Because that's what you created by, the, by this administration's withdrawal and chaotic episode is how they, they did it. If, if we were to follow the Trump um, withdrawal that was 100 percent conditions-based, yep. the Taliban didn't attack us when Trump was president because they knew if they did – their homes would be destroyed. So everything was conditions-based. And to just completely gloss over that, because heaven forbid the left do anything that President Trump had put in place, is an atrocity. And we lost service members because of it. God knows the human rights atrocities are occurring every day there right now, because yeah. nobody's there to actually tell us what's happening. Congressman, um, let, it, let, me, uh, let, me get, let me get in one last item. We have about a minute and a half, and I think this is an important one for you to also uh, share with Brian Kilmeade's listeners, the economy. If we go back 15 months ago, the, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. I'm just forming a question. The United States of America was energy independent, a net oil exporter. We had very low inflation, probably in about the one and a half percent range, very manageable. Uh, I could go on and on and on and on and on. Now look at us, 8.5% and beyond, wild runaway inflation, 5 6 $7 a gallon gasoline, even higher if you use diesel. I mean, it's a catastrophe. Give us your best minute or so on the economy in this administration under their leadership. And all of this is 100% because of the decisions that have been made by the Biden administration, and by a democratically-led Congress. There is no coincidence that when Trump left office, record unemployment rates, record unemployment for minorities, Mm -hmm. record unemployment all across the board, highest economic numbers we've seen in decades, lowest inflation, all of these huge positive economic numbers. And then Biden takes over. We do $1.9 trillion to the American Rescue Plan. We're paying people not to work. Mm-hmm. We're just giving away money. We're dumping trillions of dollars on an economy, which is going to cause inflation. Gas, I don't even need to tell you all of the disastrous decisions that this administration has made to 
shut down the domestic production of oil and gas. And seconds. now we were going to we were importing it from Russia. All of this is because of the decisions that they've made. And I hope the American people um, will make that clear on November. Uh, great visit with you, Congressman Stubbe. Keep up the great work. Uh, we need you. Uh, have a good day, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. When we come back, you know how Brian loves your calls and honors and cherishes your participation. We'll go to your phone calls next because this is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you on a need to know basis because, man, do you need to know? It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Thank you for tuning in to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Brian will be back tomorrow. My name is Harry Hurley, good friend of Brian's, filling in today. Honor to do so, and a real privilege to work with Allison Pete and Eric as well. What a great team this is. It's why they're on the Mount Rushmore of radio talk shows in America, and that's uh, it's very hard. It's very hard to accomplish, but they're that good. Follow Brian on all of his platforms, briankilmead.com, briankilmeadshow.com. And I know how much Brian loves to take your phone calls, so let's not uh, waste a moment. Listening on affiliate radio station for the Brian Kilmeade Show, WTRW in Pennsylvania, is guest listener Bill. Bill, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi there. Hi, Harry. How are you doing? Good, sir. Thank you. Um, I have a couple ideas. I, I'm a conservative gun owner myself, but um, I notice almost all of these mass shootings are caused by young, like they're teenagers or young adults. Um I think it would be reasonable to raise the age limit to own a semi-automatic, you know, like an AR-15 to maybe 30 years old with exemptions for military and law enforcement. Anyone under 30 could own small caliber single action guns. Um, so they still get to buy guns, just not semi-automatic. Hey, Bill, Bill, um, only, like- only to make it only to make it interesting, because I don't think what you're saying is totally unreasonable or anything like that. What about that stubborn, persistent thing called the Constitution? And the Second Amendment that says that the right to bear arms shall not be infringed uh, and, and all of that stuff. Don't, do you think that would be unrealistic to try to create, especially when you can say, hey, we'll send you to war at 18, but um, you can't do this in, in, the, in your public life as a cit- civilian, as a citizen for, for 12 years or so after that? Would that be a little tough to sell, Bill? No, that's why I said there should be exemptions for military and law enforcement. So um, if you serve in the military or law enforcement and are trained, you should be able to own them at a younger age. Um, But up to 30, I I think, you know, the human brain doesn't develop till 27. So a lot of these these people, they're just young. They're teenagers and they're young adults. I I think they would mature with age and there'd be a lot less of this if we could keep the higher caliber, you know, semi-automatics out of their hands and, you know— Hey, Bill, let me jump. Let me jump only because we want to get in at least one more call before the end of this segment. And I appreciate your call and for your point of view on that. That's something for all of us to consider. Let's go to Tom. He's in Long Island on WRCN. Tom, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry, good morning. And I agree with you about Peter and your support staff there. Excellent. Yes. Now let me get to my point because you haven't got time. Got it. Let's just start at the beginning. Okay, there's big protests over the death penalty. Okay, there's big uh, what would you call favoritism, uh, pro crime, where we let them out of jail and nobody pays for this or pays for that. Okay, 
guess what we got? Just, what is this? Less than a year. We've got the guy that drove down the street. We got yeah. the kid that shot up yeah. at the supermarket. Tom, Tom, petty- let me jump in, and we owe you more time next time. I promise to do better next time. A reminder, New York let someone go that shot a cop. They dropped the charges. There's a lot to be said for what Tom just shared. We'll be back. Don't go away. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today. Brian will be back tomorrow. That's the great news. Allison, Pete, and Eric have made my time here uh, so incredibly enjoyable, and I thank you all for having the privilege to partner with you. Now joining us, this is this is not work, I and mean, this is a pleasure. Joining us on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is a very longtime friend of mine and a great Fox News contributor, a great Fox News. I mean, now I call him a war correspondent. I mean, he's been right there uh, doing so many uh, important assignments. Griff Jenkins, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, Harry, you are too kind. It is always good to talk to you, my friend. And, you know, here we are, uh, breaking news. We thought, you know, we would be talking today about the midterms, and and that was certainly uh, something everybody was uh, focusing on as we are getting ready for another election in six months. But breaking news on this tragic shooting in Texas so close to the border. You raise a great point that seemed all these elections and we were all talking about them in the runoff and would Paxton be able to beat George P. Bush and how would Kemp do and would he win by as much over Purdue? There were all these things that seemed so important until they really aren't. Uh, They're still still significant, but they, they certainly find their place when you have something like what happened at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. And, and you know, you've got great instincts. That's exactly where I wanted to begin with the great Griff Jenkins. Give us your comment about things. Well, you know, Harry, uh, for viewers or listeners who may remember, I mean, I covered a lot of shootings for Greta Van Susteren because I was her correspondent. And from, you know, I tell people all the time, I've been saying in my private life forever because I've covered, I've had the opportunity, the great opportunity for Fox to cover a lot of history and stories. The hardest one I ever covered was Sandy Hook, where 20 children were killed. It was tough. Uh, And it was not the only shooting. I mean, I covered the Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando, which I think is still the the largest mass murder. Some nearly 50 people were killed there. Another 50 or so injured. Aurora, Colorado, the movie theater there, San Bernardino, California. I covered them all yeah. uh, with my friend Ted Williams, who was just uh, just on Fox here uh, in the last hour talking about uh, Uvalde. But, you know, what what just breaks your heart is, uh, and I know this from talking about Sandy Hook, is in Uvalde, you know, there's grief, there's sorrow, there's tragedy, and then there's parents whose children have been massacred. And Mm. it's just hard to explain how it is a next level of grief. And having interviewed some of the parents in Sandy Hook, I remember I talked to one mom whose child was killed, and she she just, you know, with tears streaming down her eyes here, he said, what do I say to you? 
I don't even I can't, I can't even tell you how I feel. I'm so just devastated. I mean, their hearts just ripped out. And so, you know, when I saw this story, uh, uh, my heart broke for them. And uh, I will say. Uh, what's unique about this story, and I want to give a real shout out to the Border Patrol uh, agents, particularly that Bortec elite unit, because having gone through Uvalde at least 20 times in my life in the last 10 years covering the border, because people don't know this, but you know, you see us in, in RGV in McAllen or in Eagle Pass, Texas, or in Del Rio. Well, it's hard to get to these places because they're small border towns, and you almost always fly into San Antonio and drive south. And when you go to Eagle Pass or Del Rio, you go through Uvalde. It's just the way the main highway goes. And, you know, it's a great little uh, town. I've interviewed the mayor there. I've interviewed law enforcement. One of the largest sort of staging areas for Border Patrol is in Uvalde. And we are going to find out that many of the children that at least attend this school uh, uh, are children of Border Patrol agents. And so it was not a surprise to me, but I want to give uh, my hats off to these heroes of the Border Patrol because obviously they have the same law enforcement radios that are connected with the local authorities, obviously in this case under uh, Operation Lone Star, the Border Patrol working with Texas DPS and local law enforcement agencies. So they're all hearing the same reports, and obviously uh, uh, the elite BORTAC unit leapt into action, and who knows how many children's uh, lives were spared because the Border Patrol unit was able to get inside that fourth grade classroom and stop and neutralize this shooter. I agree with that so completely uh, because them hearing it and this Border Patrol tactical unit responding and killing the shooter, they, they different reports have had, have had different numbers, but typically these mass shooters have many, many rounds, 100 plus rounds of ammunition. So he was able to get to kill 19 children, as you know, two teachers. So this is right behind uh, Sandy Hook, which you mentioned, Griff, 20. And who knows the condition of of certain people that we're not aware of right now. The number is subject to change. Uh, So the Border Patrol tactical unit uh, response, and and you know these things. I've been told the average is four minutes. So he had whoever this was had to travel to get there and get there in time to stop him before he even did more. And these are events that are over typically in four minutes, sometimes even less. So you, I don't think you overstated that one inch, uh, how important that was. Let's, um, let's pivot to some additional uh, important topics that, and, and issues that you have been working on. You know Ukraine almost like no one in terms of this particular uh, Russia unprovoked um, attack on Ukraine what are your observations now that it's gone on for several months? And you know how these things go. We were just talking to Congressman Stubbe on the Brian Kilmeade show. Nobody talks about Afghanistan anymore. We're going to get to the part to the point not too long from now, Griff, where nobody's talking about Ukraine and they're still going at it. Uh, you know, for I mean, the administration thought it was going to be over in 24 to 48 hours. Uh, they were wrong about that. Where are we with this and where are we with the appetite for how long this will keep the attention span of the American people. 
Well, Harry, your instincts are spot on, my friend, because I uh, get to anchor uh, the Fox News Live Saturday hours out of Washington, and the guess that, that, and I'm not sure things will change possibly, depending on, you know, with the shooting and everything going on, uh, but I did plan to try and interview the uh, Ukrainian ambassador to the U.S. who's here in Washington to specifically talk about the concerns of war fatigue and and you know what we what we've seen in the what is now 91 days mm. of the war in Ukraine we've seen the russian forces really fail in the battle for kiev fail in the eastern donbass they have proven to be a a mediocre at best fighting force. Mariupol has fallen, and now we're going to start learning perhaps some of the horrors of Mariupol, which will match and surpass likely the atrocities that we saw in Bucha and Bordianka that I saw firsthand. But setting aside for the moment, we'll see the, the interest perhaps wane because we're settling in now to a little bit of a longer war slog as military uh, veterans call it because you've got the millions, billions of dollars of U.S. aid with, you know, the artillery, heavy artillery, the javelins uh, set in place in the eastern Donbass. And so that's not going to be a quick Ukrainian victory, but people are talking, obviously, President Zelensky leading it, saying that they can win. But yeah. the question is, is the American appetite going to be interested in seeing it if it takes a year? And, you know, the guess is probably not. And there was a real sense after, you know, we were giving like $150 million, $200 million, then all of a sudden the $40 billion support dropped. And there was a sort of sense of, okay, now they've got what they need and they will continue to, uh, you know, win the battle against Russia. Let's move on to something else. And I think that is ultimately President Zelensky and Ukraine's greatest fear is that the U.S. and Western NATO allies will lose some interest. Meanwhile, by the way, uh, President Zelensky is really trying to raise uh, attention on the global grain crisis yeah, yes. that is coming. Yeah, he set that limit in 10 weeks or thereabouts, 10, 11 weeks, where there's going to be a food shortage worldwide. But you nailed it on that analysis, which I'm not surprised. You're Griff Jenkins, Fox News correspondent extraordinaire. On the <laughs> Brian Kilmeade show, let me double down on this because – the American people were the greatest country in the history of the world. We are kind. We are compassionate when, when we choose to be. We can be – obviously, we can be bad to one another too, and we've, we've seen that yesterday. But everything I said is true. But we also have babies that can't be fed because you can't get baby formula. We have 8.5% runaway inflation. We have a broken supply chain. We have prices that are out of sight. I mean it, it's going you know absolutely bananas right now. Uh, in the American people's daily lives. And I do believe there will become a point in time where they'll say, hey, you know, what about us? What about taking care of home base? We can't I can't feed my baby. Uh, so I, I think that this is a real tipping point in this war. 
No, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, it's not just here at home. I mean, there, there's a real sense, I think, as we get even closer to the election, for example, mm. uh, you will see uh, candidates talking about, you know, the, the concerns of taking care of Americans first and then helping the rest of the world. We'll see where Ukraine stands six months when we get to the midterms. But Outside of the U.S., you're also already seeing some uh, NATO-aligned countries saying, well, things are okay. Maybe I don't have to weigh myself entirely off of uh, Russian energy. And that's going to be a big part of it, right? Like the U.S. can't do it alone. But if no. we get put in the position, and with $40 billion, which is a lot of money, by the way, uh, if we get in the position where the U.S. is looking like we're really just doing it all ourselves, that's not going to sit well no. with the American people. We, uh, yeah. We're glad to do our part, and we're glad to lead, but we don't want to do it by ourselves. And, Griff, as you know, burn rate can be just unbelievable where it's like $40 billion. Where did it go? I mean, it, it can really, as you know, go quick when you're looking at – uh, these expensive javelin missiles and all these different things. Let me save time. We've got about a minute and a half, two minutes I think we could stretch, on this President Biden-China-Taiwan international incident. Uh, that was a big, big blunder that the president, one-word answer, yes. And boy, did that start uh, problems. And, of course, the staff had to clean it all up really quickly and, and try to get the uh, magic eraser out to pretend like it never happened and we didn't change American policy. Uh, what is the Griff Jenkins interpretation of what happened there? Well, my interpretation is you had one job, which was to go <laughs> highlight Indo-Pacific trade framework initiatives, which, by the way, you left Taiwan out of, which the Wall Street Journal says you should have put them in there to begin with. True. But you had one job, which is to highlight that. And what do you do? You come back with major questions about the U.S.'s position towards Taiwan, breaking from our uh, ambiguity that mm -hmm. we had previously always had. And by the way, while he's there with record gas prices, he says, oh, by the way, this is just something that Americans will have to endure. We'll be better after it's over. That ain't sitting well at home either. Griff, he made that like a strategy of raising the price and it's going to hurt for a while it's going to hurt, but it will be okay and better in the end because we won't have the, the reliance on fossil fuels. That was an incredible misstep. It was an incredible blunder, and it was a domestic blunder while yeah. on a foreign trip. And remember, Biden has billed himself for years as the foreign policy expert. He was going to undo all the woes that President Trump had uh, initiated. But here again, I don't think there's any way you can chalk the uh, first Asian trip as president for Joe Biden as a success. I would concur, my friend. Griff, always a privilege to interview with you. Hey, listen, Harry, it's great to be with you, and uh, hope you and your family have a wonderful and safe Memorial Day weekend. You do the same, my friend. Be safe out there. The great Griff Jenkins, Fox News correspondent extraordinaire. We will be back. Again, your calls are being prioritized all throughout the program. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today for Brian, who will be back tomorrow. I'm with Allison Pete and Eric. And thank you for picking uh, Brian for uh, your selection for talk radio because uh, he's earned it. He's terrific. We're going to go right back to your calls to Barry in Los Angeles, California, on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Barry, welcome. Yeah, so I don't know if it's because they don't want to pile on to Evaldi or whatever, but this falls squarely on them. How in 2022 does an 18-year-old, presumably carrying a rifle, get run unimpeded into a school? This has nothing – you don't even need major security. It's like you need, like, fences that are maybe 10 feet high that are not scalable – and one entrance. It's ridiculous. But Barry, I mean, think Barry, think about this though. Think about your typical. I'm not talking about in larger cities. Uh, imagine the area we're talking about: a small town area, Rob Elementary School, heavily, heavily Latino town, quiet town. I think it's like twenty thousand people, maybe something like that, in Uvalde, Texas. And this is what you see around America. It's not just in Uvalde, Texas. You you see it as a very soft target where people can pull right in. Think about your – everybody in the Brian Kilmeade universe right now, think about your local community and in rare – with rare exceptions, how easy it is to pull right in. Now, I will tell you, some districts are very good about – you know the, the doors are all locked – you sometimes don't even get into the front door. You'll buzz in. You'll state your name. You have to show photo identification and things. I'm just pointing out, Barry, it's not unusual for someone to be able to just walk right up and slip right in. Uh, it, it's it's what they call a soft-type target. They, and this guy obviously knew. He, he looked very comfortable. What They say he crashed his car, got out, walked walked right up. And I saw the same video on Fox News Channel that you saw. You see him walk right in. Uh, we definitely have to button that up, Barry. No doubt about it. We've got to tighten that up. Think about this. He he could have he could have done at least half as much, maybe just as much carnage, with a couple of kitchen knives. That's the the, the, the again. This has this has to do. It was in 2022. There's just no way that somebody, an 18 year old, should be able to just walk unimpeded into a school. It, Barry, I hear you, and that's what people say, but look how often it can happen. And that's not just the type of over-the-top, heinous, horrific uh, mass shootings like this. It's things you never hear about, people that just are able to walk in. They just get right in, and sometimes are walking right down the hallways, and it's a hit or miss, depending on the school district, depending on the policies that they have in place. Uh, we have a very good friend who's an expert in dignity, uh, in 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 protecting certain high-profiled people that uh, are potentially at threat. And he explains how you can harden the targets and things like that. That's the kind of stuff. In a bipartisan, nonpartisan, let me take bipartisan out. That still sounds political in a nonpartisan way that we have to approach this. There are things that can be done. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. 
Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today with Allison Pete and Eric. Brian will be back tomorrow. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, which holds a place, an official place, on my Mount Rushmore of talk radio programs in America today. Brian Kilmeade has been selected by Talkers Magazine as the fourth most important radio talk show host in America. You can follow Brian at briankilmeade.com, briankilmeadeshow.com. Also, this best-selling New York Times best-selling author, uh, his books are available in his retail store at briankilmeade.com. Makes great gifts, and Brian takes real, real great care of personalizing if you want that for a special person in your family. Uh, his latest book is The President and the Freedom Fighter, Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, and their battle to save America's souls. And again, Brian's books are available to purchase at briankillmead.com. And of course, enjoy Brian's work weekdays on the Fox News channel, Fox and Friends mornings and Saturday nights, 8 o'clock instant replay at 11 o'clock, One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Well, one of my favorite guests, because she just makes a whole lot of sense and she's really smart, uh, is Fox News contributor and also a columnist for foxnews.com and The Hill. Liz Peake joins us in studio today on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, Liz. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a pleasure, and there's so much to talk about. I'm going to refer in our interview to two recent articles because I think you really – Uh, hit the nail on the head. I I just had a conversation a little bit ago with Fox News contributor uh, correspondent Griff Jenkins on this China-Taiwan gaffe. I mean, this could have been this could have been the start of anything, a major war. I mean, this could have been absolutely disastrous. Of course, the quick cleanup right after the big mistake. Uh, you've written about it. Tell us your take on it, Liz. Well, well look, I, this is not the first time that President Biden has put our country at risk uh, through making comments sort of injudiciously, carelessly, recklessly, however you want to phrase it. Uh, the first time, of course, is when he was in Poland and he made a series of remarks, uh, first calling for regime change or so it seemed in Russia. In yep. other words, implying that Vladimir Putin should be taken out. Yep. Uh, also sort of suggesting that U.S. troops were about to go into Ukraine, whereas, of course, we'd been telling everyone, no, that wasn't going to happen. And now he goes to Asia uh, and basically throws into real doubt our adherence to what's been called strategic uh, – I call it incongruity or whatever, incoherence, but it's <laughs> ambiguity. In other words, letting the Chinese continue to guess whether or not we'll come into the aid of Taiwan should they invade that uh, separate nation, what I like to think of as a separate nation, the Chinese don't view it that way. Uh, and and here's the problem. I mean, he's done this several times regarding Taiwan. Uh, we have an established policy, uh, as mentioned, the strategic ambiguity. Uh, Biden continually says, yes, yes, that's our policy. But then he also goes off and says, when someone asks him, yes, we will come to their aid militarily. The, the thing is, actually, you started off by saying this could have turned out badly. We don't know how it will turn out True. because it is another uh, sort of card in the deck of yeah. that's being assembled by President Xi yeah. uh, to to argue that they should be invading Taiwan. Well, why would he do that now? First of all, I think you could make the case, he could make the case, that America is really bogged down in Ukraine. Uh, that isn't – we're not there militarily, but we're providing an awful lot of military hardware. We just spent 
or or signed on to spend $40 billion in Ukraine, which I looked, I think it's like a third of their GDP. I mean, it's a vast number for what we're trying to accomplish in Ukraine. Uh, and I think, you know, from President Xi's point of view, we're pretty distracted. I mean, to if he were to invade Taiwan now, uh, what would that lead to? I don't know, but I'm not sure that we'd really be able to rally the kind of defense for Taiwan that we would need to. And by the way, I have spoken to military people who tell me we're not even close to ready to defend Taiwan. Uh, in other words, if you really want to deter President Xi from doing something that really would create a crisis, I think, globally, we should have missile batteries close by. We should have all the kinds of weapons defenses that Taiwan would need to help fend off what is, I gather, a very robust attack apparatus that China already has in place. It wouldn't surprise any of us to find out that we're way behind the curve on this. But if you're going to go over there and act all bravado and sort of like, oh, yeah, we're ready to do this, we better be ready to do it. And I don't think we are. But let me just make one other point. President Xi right now is in a very ticklish position. He wants to be made president for life in November. We all know that that is coming up. Mm-hmm. Uh, But China's in trouble. I mean, for the first time in a very long time, they're not growing. They're not going to meet their growth expectations. Uh, They've got this ridiculous zero COVID uh, policy, which has led to the lockdown of millions, tens of millions of people in, in Beijing and Shanghai and tremendous economic disruption. Why? Because they're they're. Vaccine, which I wrote about many, many months ago, doesn't work. Correct. And so, you know, guess what? The Chinese aren't stupid. They realize it doesn't work very well, so they haven't gotten vaccinated. In particular, their older people haven't gotten vaccinated. So there are tens of millions of Chinese people at risk from even Omicron. And I say that because it isn't as violent uh, or deadly yeah. as yeah. COVID 19. Yeah. So that's a really huge problem. And then, of course, he has struck out. Uh, against attacking the tech sector, their biggest, best group of companies. Uh, And so, you know, it's all on him. I mean, I think you're seeing some doubts being raised in China for the first time in a long time about Xi. This is not a time to put him in a corner. Liz Peek on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to call this the uh, Ron Burgundy Anchorman (laughs) Doctrine. If it's in the teleprompter, he reads it. He makes mistakes, particularly when he goes off the teleprompter or if he is in an impromptu type setting like he was when uh, an industrious reporter asked him a question. See if you agree with me on this. I think that this is defendable, what I'm about to say. There's something that's not right. There, there is some kind of acuity issue. I'm not a doctor, so I'm not qualified to, to confirm that. But sort of you know it when you see it. And it seems like when he's asked a question, they pose it almost giving him the answer they want, and then he says yes to it. Mm. That's very dangerous, and that's what I think keeps happening. Well, I don't doubt it. I mean, I don't think that – look, what we know is he can't go off script. His people don't want him to go off script, and there's a reason for that. The reason is he often comes up with things that are – again, careless is the word I use. Reckless, I think, is also appropriate. It's not well thought out. He doesn't have the quickness of mind at this point to be able to sort of scope out what am I saying? Is this how what are the ramifications of being uh, asked, you know, of making this determination? He he can't do that in sort of real time. And so he gets himself in a box. And I, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, 
when when you say, are you willing to defend China militarily? It is a yes or no answer. Yeah. And he, he, goes, and he, said he yes. tends to gravitate towards a yes. I mean, you know, when he started, when he was first in the Oval Office and he was going to meet with Vladimir Putin, I used to joke about how I was really afraid he'd end up giving away Alaska because if <laughs> Putin said – President Biden, you know, are you willing to give away Alaska? It, 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 who knows? He might say yes. Uh, who knows what this guy is going to do next? I, 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 I really don't joke about it anymore because I think the severity of his decline, which I think we all see, uh, and the ramifications of it are just horrible. And uh, I think the United States is becoming sort of a laughing stock. They said that when Trump was president. I think now it actually is true. P, uh, countries around the world, particularly our enemies, are looking at this bumbling confused person and saying this is the president of the United States. And it's really worrisome. See if you agree with this. And and then I'm going to go into your second article, uh, Biden solving America's labor shortage. And it's not <laughs> it's not good news at all, because if you're going to solve America's labor shortage by what he's doing in destroying wealth, that is very uh, a negative uh, strategy indeed. But you just uh, jogged my my mind and my memory about something. Everything that Trump, my former boss, was accused of in advance and during his presidency did not happen. Uh, Putin wasn't even looking at Ukraine. I believe if Trump won a second consecutive term, I think he's going to get a second term. It'll just be non-consecutive, but that's a throwaway line. Uh, But I do believe it. Uh, But I know if he would have gotten the second consecutive term, we wouldn't be talking about the new $40 billion uh, contribution that we're making to Ukraine because Putin wouldn't have done it. I don't believe he would have done it. Everything that we were supposed to fear, it's kind of Reagan-esque. Reagan was going to be a cowboy and dangerous and get us into nuclear war and all these things never happened. He was actually very good on foreign policy and had a great team. Trump also put a great team yeah. of experience. I know you know this, Liz, and I know you've written about it, a great team of experienced people. Biden, it's amateur hour. Uh, an energy secretary that doesn't know how many millions of gallons, uh, barrels rather, a day we use of oil. This joker, uh, Buddha judge, I mean, he went away for three months and nobody even knew it. I mean, it's unbelievable what's going on. So it's it's the exact opposite, Liz Peak. Everything we were supposed to fear about Trump is playing out in reality with Biden. I, I totally 100 percent agree with you. And also, all the just charges of massive lying and so forth. I was sitting at my desk this morning thinking about the major lies that Biden has told. Trump de- definitely fibbed. I would say there are more fibs about the size of crowds and sort of silly things. Yeah. Biden lies profoundly about issues like race and crime and the things that are really important to our country. Uh, and I don't think it's because he's deceived. I mean, it's impossible to me. For, for example, I was reading uh, this morning about the hate crime statistics and how Biden kind of always implies that white supremacy, of course, is the worst thing that could possibly threaten our nation is just awful and is rampant, et cetera. And Heather McDonald at City Journal, bless her heart, um, comes up with the FBI statistics that blacks are committing twice as many hate crimes as whites. We all know this is true. But – how can somebody as president continually spool out things yeah. that are simply wrong? Let I, me give you the, Liz, let me give you this one. How about Jim Crow 2.0 yeah, yeah. and Georgia, we now know. Thank you. That yeah. I know. I know we're, that's why I'm telling you, I, I, I just love you as a guest. No, um, no, you're totally right. I mean, the, so the early was, voting turnout, Liz, yes. 186 percent 
186% up from 2018, 212% up in the early voting versus 2020. It's not only not Jim Crow 2.0, it's the exact opposite. This encourages uh, people to vote and election turnout to flourish. They He exactly lies opposite of, of what really is. It's true. And, and his state of Delaware, by comparison to the Georgia election laws, is a disgrace. Yeah. I, it, no, I totally agree with that. I, this, there is the big lie, what he calls the big lie, the Democrats lie about the election outcome not being true and fair. Uh, I'd say the bigger lie is that uh, there was no irregularities in 2020 and that, that the uh, measures being adopted by Republicans across a lot of states are, are not going to make things better. They are making things better. And to your point, there is no suppression of the vote. I nope. mean, I think that that is just such a ridiculous thing. And I have I got to say, uh, I hope that Kemp completely obliterate Stacey Abrams because all she has done in her career that I can see is basically perpetuate that lie. Yes. Uh, and she, and she lost by a lot and she, made it yeah. look like it yeah. was razor thin. She's never conceded yeah. her, her loss. It's disgraceful. And now she said that Georgia is the worst state in America to live. I think it's time we say goodbye to Stacey Abrams as a serious candidate like the media has tried to make her. Yeah, I hope so, too. I, I, I I'm looking forward to that contest. Final minute or so, but give us give us your best on President Biden solving America's labor shortage <laughs> through wealth destruction and what looks to be, I mean, we're one, six weeks away from potentially being in a recession if we contract. Yeah, well, already we're seeing some softening of the job market. We're seeing increased unemployment claims uh, and and what had been just a red hot hiring spree by everybody, including big companies like Amazon. Now Amazon's saying, well, actually, we overstaff now in warehouses. And you're beginning to kind of hear these rumblings, very minor so far. The job market is still strong so far, but it's beginning at the edges to soften. And I think that's an unbelievable turnaround. The other thing is there are an awful lot of people who retired uh, during COVID because they didn't want to face COVID also because they had an enormous buildup in their wealth. And guess what? That is going away just as fast as an ice cube in August. So 15 seconds. Yeah. The House is, is over. The Republicans have already won the House. That's it's not stoppable at this point. The Senate is more interesting. If you told me who wins Pennsylvania and Georgia, I will tell you who will have the majority. Will the Republicans hold Pennsylvania and can Herschel Walker beat Raphael Warnock in Georgia? I am pretty optimistic about Pennsylvania. You have two good candidates. Yep. Either one who wins, I think, wins that seat. Uh, and I can't imagine that Warnock is going to be is going to win. Uh, I think he's a terrible candidate, but I'm not as sure about Georgia. Yeah, let me agree with you. I think I think we're going to be okay, and I think that Kemp is going to be very strong, and he'll help uh, as yeah. well. I think. I agree, Liz. I always enjoy our time together. Have a great day. Hey, you too. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Pleasure. That's Liz Peak, and this is. The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Brian speaks the truth on that. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in today. Brian back tomorrow. I'm with Allison Pete and Eric. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show, where Brian always, every single moment that he can, 
He prioritizes your phone calls at 866-408-7669. Janet is listening on WSKY in Gainesville, Florida, a Brian Kilmeade affiliate. Janet, welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi there. Thank you, Mr. Early. Thank you for taking my call. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that, again, we're not connecting the dots. I do believe that all of the young shooters that we have had have the same background. And that background, and certainly the one that we have seen today, and certainly, I mean, uh, the last three, all show mothers that have psychologically abuse their children and their mm. children believe that they are hated. This young hey, Janet, I'm not 100 percent sure that this is true, but I think what I'm about to say is true. They also do not have a father in their lives, typically. Absolutely. Because yeah, the father that's also big. Could, absolutely. And also one more thing yep. is that CRT teaches hate. Yeah, CRT, though, this child's 18. Uh, he didn't grow up with CRT. Maybe he got it late uh, in, in, in his young life, which, bear, well, he made it to 18 years because of what he did yesterday. Uh, I think it's an excellent point that you make. You've got to look at a lot of factors. You have to look at the upbringing. Is it stable? Is it unstable? Also, too, with social media footprint being the way that it is, and with and with the younger generation, Janet, as you know, we thank you for the call. I'll say this to you as I say goodbye with the younger generation that is so incredibly technologically. I mean, they're they're probably on their their digital devices, whether it's an iPhone, an iPad, a laptop, a desktop. They are on some kind of digital device for more than 11, 12, 13, 14 hours a day. You get into sort of a. A, a, a non-real world of things uh, where I think a lot of that plays into this. We, we, we have to do, we need a nonpartisan conversation in each state and a national dialogue on the topic, and we have to fix this. There are things we can do that we haven't been doing. And I will tell you, my home state of New Jersey has some credibility, and Governor Phil Murphy joins us next. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley, the honor of filling in today for my great friend, Brian Kilmeade, who will be back tomorrow. I'm with Allison, Pete, and Eric and this uh, incredible team of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is the two-term 56th governor of the state of New Jersey. Governor Phil Murphy is also a former United States ambassador and make sure everybody listening, these are my words, not his, because Governor Murphy has never said this anywhere that I'm aware of. He's never even hinted what I'm about to say. But many observers believe, I happen to be one of them, that Governor Murphy may be a future candidate for president of the United States. But that's not – I'm not trying to make news today. It's just just, just something that I, I just feel. Joining us now on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is my friend, Governor Phil Murphy. Governor, welcome. Harry, good to be with you, and I don't want anyone to think that I slipped you a 20 to give me that introduction. You're welcome, sir, and you did not. I will testify to it under oath before your attorney general and my attorney general. There you go. Governor Murphy, uh, America um, obviously is in mourning. We, we grieve 
for what has happened. We 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 just it's unbearable. And imagine for the families, because I know you've dealt during many uh, instances, COVID-19 pandemic, you've you've called every family that's lost someone. You So, you know, uh, and I also mentioned to our listeners, Governor, right before you arrived, that New Jersey, you and New Jersey, you have credibility regarding detecting threats and where and when possible to delay threats and to how to achieve potential target hardening and things like that. New Jersey is a model in many respects. And I had an expert on this morning that talked about uh, and agreed with that um, comment that I just made. What are your opening comments relative to yesterday's mass shooting attack in Uvalde, Texas? Yeah, Harry, you have to start with the precious, precious lives lost and the families and friends that they've left behind. It's just unspeakable. God bless those little kids. God bless the educators. And again, the brothers and sisters and moms and dads left behind. Fred Guttenberg is a very close personal friend. He lost his his daughter. Jamie was murdered in Parkland. Uh, And we just have some uh, modest window into the grief and the reality that those families will be living with. So most importantly, and firstly, God bless them all. Secondly, I'm proud of what we've done in New Jersey. Um, We've tightened things up here. Uh, We have a lot of police today, for instance, out there with no specific threats, but hardening our target, our our schools. I had a regularly scheduled meeting uh, this afternoon, uh, which I always have before Memorial Day. Uh, You know know the Jersey Shore and our state parks and lakes are huge uh, tourism spots, so we always have a pre-summer kickoff uh, security uh, briefing, and today it'll be, you know, it'll be have a heavy dose of schools. And I'd say thirdly, whether it's New Jersey or whether it's America, uh, we can't keep a- answering these unspeakable tragedies with inaction. Something has to happen here. A former colleague in, in the State Department used to say, "You can't, you can't answer something with nothing." Yeah, we have to act. I know the steps that we should take in New Jersey. In fact, I'm going to speak to them in a few minutes at a press conference. There are steps that are that we can take as a country that are overwhelmingly supported by folks on both sides of the aisle. But please, God, let's stop seeing these tragedies, whether it was Buffalo a couple of weeks ago, whether it's these precious kids yesterday. Please, God, let's do something. I completely agree, and I meant to send it to you, and I I apologize because it would have been great if you saw it before I comment on it. But I wrote a piece this morning where I talk about the fact this has to be completely nonpartisan. We've got to put the politics away. It cannot be about winning cheap points. It can't be about a political agenda. I, too, believe there are things that we can do. You can't stop everything. If one person is willing you know, to just be absolutely crazy, it's very tough. To be right 100 percent of the time. But if we look, for example, in my piece, I talk about look at the success record we have had since September 11, 2001, more than 21 years, Governor Murphy, where the terrorist enemy has not succeeded. And, you know, they're trying every day. In fact, just spoiled a uh, announcement of a spoiled ISIS potential plot to assassinate President George W. Bush. We have been successful because we were totally nonpolitical. America was united. The two political parties did their job, 
and they put the Department of Homeland Security together, did other things uh, to um, address because we got caught with, with, with our pants down. The terrorist enemy did something we didn't even think people in, yep. in, in, in humanity, civilized humanity would ever do uh, and use our own planes filled with a belly full of, of, of high burning, high temperature jet fuel. And, and use them to kill thousands of Americans. Yep. And as you know, many thousands have died over the past 21 years from the, uh, the poisons and different things. And, and by so the way, can, many hundreds of New Jerseyans, by the way. Yes, that day. So, absolutely. You know. So we need, I think we need that kind of will. Yep. What do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, I, I will read that piece and I like the analogy. Um, I, I think two things, and these may sound like they're at odds with each other. Uh, but one, I think we have to be very clear about why progress isn't being made, and, and objectively, uh, anyone who tries to score a political point in the aftermath of this should be, you know, there's a special place in hell for those folks. So that's not the point of that. It is to be very uh, clear about why this has not happened. And then I think, secondly, the opposite of scoring political points, someone I, I think this is time for leadership, both sides of the aisle, to to make a stand that is explicitly against their personal political interests, where they actually pay a price, uh, but they prove that they uh, are willing to pay that price because they want to protect innocent lives in this country. I think that's the sort of leadership. I don't care if they're Democrats or Republicans, but that to me is the sort of leadership that we need right now. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show on the Brian Kilmeade Show Newsmaker Hotline is New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy. You are um, investing. You are doing new investments in police and firefighters in New Jersey, including something that I've never heard of before. I don't know if this is a first of its kind, but you're including in this all a plan that you're negotiating with the New Jersey State PBA, which I think is very important because if if they have buy-in, that's a whole lot better than some dictate that, that could become problematic for actually a new statewide licensing system for law enforcement. Tell us yeah. about it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's something um, that we're proud of. Um, and, and folks who would seem to be on opposite sides of this have come together in common cause. Uh, and we announced uh, last week that we're actually going to go forward and, and proceed with this. It requires legislation, so it's not a done deal yet, but there is buy-in in the legislature. And as you rightfully point out, the big police unions, uh, the biggest of which in our state is the PBA, have been at that table um, and have been really good about this. And the you know the faith leaders, the community activists, particularly a disproportionate and rifle representation from the black and brown communities, and, and ironically, Harry, and, and you and I are both proud New Jerseyans, and we love to say all the time we're number one at this or we're top five at that. This one we're late to. Um, most, the majority of other states have this. Um, the, the, that's, the, that's the bad news for us that we're late. The good news is when you're late, you can look at every other model that's out there and, and pick the very best. So I think we're going to have the very best licensure laws in America. And and it's good for everybody. It's good for the communities that our police so bravely serve. And it's good for the overwhelming amount of majority of police 
who are putting on their uniforms every day, putting their lives on the line, doing the right thing, it's good. It's overwhelmingly good for them as well. So I'm very proud of the step we're taking at long last. I, I don't know for sure, but a little birdie told me, is this something along the lines of every three years or something, a yes. public safety officer would have to be relicensed? You bet, and, and and they have to be you know, they have to be deemed to be worthy of that, um, and 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 there are a series I think Harry of eleven different types of behavior that would be uh, either disqualifying for that renewal or uh, count against that renewal, uh, and and again you got the overwhelming amount of cops out there led by great union leaders who said, listen, if if ninety nine point nine nine percent of us are doing the right thing. This license will shine a light on that. People will know that we're the good guys and good gals because we wouldn't have gotten this license in the first place or wouldn't have gotten it renewed uh, after that if we weren't doing the right thing. So that, that's that's a big part of why they got to support this, and I, I give them and the community leaders a tremendous amount of credit. We're visiting with Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey uh, on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Do you believe you have the support of the legislature to make this happen? I don't want to put words in their mouth, but we had both the relevant chairs standing with me when we made this announcement. So we had we had community leaders, we had the big unions, and we had both the chair in, the, in our state assembly and the chair in the state senate standing with me. When you have that happening at that level, it is uh, typically, if not overwhelmingly likely, that we're going to get this we're going to see this get to my desk, and I'll be able to sign it. I don't want to speak for the legislative leaders, but that's the sort of tableau. When you see that, you know something good is going to follow. Governor Murphy, every listener throughout the country today on The Brian Kilmeade Show would love it to be their governor and then talking about property tax relief for the, for the citizens of their state because this is obviously something, especially in, in this current environment where – Things are very expensive, as you know, and so many different um, everything from gasoline to food to everything. Uh, What is your property tax relief proposal? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. Affordability and opportunity are the two words that scream out in terms of our budget and and what informs us. And so so we've – we're not the low-cost state in America to live in. Our bumper sticker is the number one state in America to raise a family, and we're proud of that. And that goes, you know, what underpins that is number one public education in America, top five health systems, great quality of life, location, uh, talent and location are the two other words I use a lot, and we invest heavily in that. But folks are willing in a state like ours, they're willing to pay for that bumper sticker, but they want to make sure it's good value for money. And New Jersey now for the past several decades has gone off the rails in terms of that that value equation. I'm proud that we've had the four and that now will be the five lowest increases in property taxes in modern history of the state. But it's not enough. We want them to go down. So we've now got something that we've proposed in our budget. And I want to do even more than what we proposed, which is something called the anchor program for both homeowners and renters up to certain levels of income. And these are not modest incomes, 250000 in the case of a homeowner, 100000 in the case of a renter. You get serious property tax relief. Um, I want to, I'm of the opinion we fully fund this, which means in New Jersey, that homeowner is going to get up to 11 or $1,200 of rebate. 
That's about, on average, that's 11 or 12 percent reduction in property taxes. Uh, that's never happened in our state, as you well know. So this is something we're still negotiating, but I think the legislative leaders share in that passion that we all want to deliver, not just modest increases. We want to take a huge chunk out of the property taxes folks pay in our state. Governor, I know we have two minutes before your next appointment. Let me ask you to talk about summer 2022. Obviously, the Atlantic City casino industry is very near and dear to me because of my location and, and of course, very important to the state as a leading industry. They seem to have turned it around very nicely mm-hmm. post-pandemic, if we can say that we've gone endemic. I know that cases are on the rise again, but um, the the seriousness of it seems to be, have waned. Where we, we had a day where we had no deaths. I mean, yep. I don't, that was fantastic to see. Uh, give us your take, your assessment on the Atlantic City casino industry, and then statewide summer 2022. Yeah, I'm incredibly excited for this summer. I think it's going to be a record summer uh, by every measure on the shore and our lakes and our state parks. By the way, one of the ways we're trying to deliver affordability, state parks free of charge this summer. Uh, so folks, come on out and enjoy them. We've got among the best in the nation. The Jersey Shore is 140 plus miles of a magical uh, part of our state. One of the huge tourism draws right in the middle of that is Atlantic City. The casinos uh, are, are back on their feet, whether it was from COVID or the awful recession 12 years ago. Uh, we're back. Atlantic City's back. Jersey's back. The shore's back. We got some of the nicest lakes in America, as I mentioned, the state parks. I'm incredibly excited. I want everybody to, to enjoy this summer, but enjoy it responsibly uh, and look out for each other. But I'm incredibly excited about the summer we're going to kick off this weekend. Governor Murphy, great to visit with you. Harry, thanks for having me so much. Take care. We'll talk again soon. We will be back. Closing comments when we return in just a few minutes. You are listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Nobody works harder. I mean, look at the man. Uh, Incredible. It is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Harry Hurley filling in. Brian will be back tomorrow. Thank you, Allison, Pete, and Eric for the privilege to work with you today. This will probably be the most self-indulgent thing I've ever done when I have filled in for Brian because I have a philosophy. I don't even tell you what station I'm at or anything. I'm Brian's filling guy. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. That, that's, that's so important to me. And it's not just to look good or for that to sound good. I, I, I've lived it. I don't promote. But I'm going to promote something that I put out this morning because I think it translates all around the country equally. We must properly grieve for the many families whose lives were shattered yesterday. Let me start there. When an 18-year-old gunman opened fire at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. This is not a political issue. And if you've been listening to the Brian Kilmeade Show today, no one has made it a political issue. From the filling guy, me, to Governor Murphy, to everybody else that we've interviewed today on the program. No one should try to exploit it. That. It's the absolute wrong and destructive approach to take. We must collectively reject any and all attempts to politicize this strategy because it's a human issue. We must be there for each other. We've got to figure a way through or out of this. There are things that we can do if we get together, just like we did at September 11th. 
when people were friendlier to one another, holding doors open for one another, when we were about 94 percent united as a country. You're never going to get to 100 percent of anything. We can't get barely above 50 percent of anything anymore. As I share my comments with you on Brian's show, 19 students and two teachers are gone. Conflicting media reports say that the gunman's grandmother, who he apparently shot first, is either dead or in critical condition. Yesterday's mass shooting, the second worst in American history behind only in schools behind Sandy Hook Elementary School, which was on December 14th, 2012, if you can believe how long ago that was, but it doesn't seem that long ago. My suggestion is for people of good faith to begin an appropriate dialogue together. We must establish strict ground rules that we can agree on, that doesn't threaten civil liberties, that doesn't threaten the Second Amendment, that doesn't politicize it for any reason. If we can establish sincere rules of positive engagement, we can perhaps open an intellectually honest conversation that can take shape. Let's focus on things we can agree with. Because no one wants innocent citizens to die. No one wants little babies and little toddlers to be killed. We can put together a plan and work this and improve this situation. I know we can do it. We're the greatest country in the history of the world. Harry Hurley sitting in for Brian Kilmeade, who will be back tomorrow. Have a safe, great day. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.